Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. It's the Ad Week podcast where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the international editor with Ad Week. And I'm Ko M. I am the community editor at Ad Week. And this week, we are talking about creativity and social media and awards. And so we have joining with us uh, Shannon Miller, our senior editor of Creativity and Representation, and also Toby Daniels, our chief innovation officer. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Wonderful to be here. Yeah, it's feeling like a clubhouse. Toby, I feel like I've only talked to you in, in clubhouse and Zoom calls. So thank you for making time uh, to be on the on the show. We're going to talk quite a bit about uh, Social Media Week, which uh, Toby uh, created and uh, came on board with Adweek a few months ago. And uh, and we've got coming up, we've got Social Media New York coming up with more worldwide programming uh, and uh, and lots of other events. So we will be talking about that in depth. But first, I wanted to get in, especially while we have Shannon here, get in our cover story uh, for this week uh, in the lead up to uh, Social Media Week. Uh, Shannon talked to our creator visionary uh, for 2021. Uh, so Shannon, I will give you the big reveal. Who is the creator visionary? Uh, for 2021? Um, the creator visionary of the year is none other than the one and only Travis Scott. Um, it still Woo-hoo! feels like a truly out-of-body experience. That, I love the cover too um, for folks who get us in the mail or we'll see the digital cover online. He took over our cover. It does feel like an out-of-body experience. I'd love to hear more about um, what you learned from your interview with him and about his creative process. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not even sure where to begin. Honestly. Well, let's talk about his beginning. Cause I thought that was really fascinating. His, you know, it's nice to see someone as a Southerner, uh, you know, it's nice to see people who take a lot of pride in their town. And this is a guy who is really like, he's really kind of warm and, and it was delightful reading about how much he loves his hometown. Tell us about that. I mean, you can only hope to love your hometown as much as Travis Scott loves Houston. Um, you, you kind of grow up in a place and I think that for some of us, we can sort of just become a little bit numb to the place. Like, oh yeah, this is a great place. Travis Scott loves Houston, Texas. He loves Texas in general, but the way he talks about Houston is such an endearing quality um, about him. The, The thing that was really striking to me is when you deal with a certain level of celebrity, 
you kind of imagine them in this sort of untouchable stratosphere. Like you see 38 million followers. No, that's not a real person. He is totally just a very real down to earth, um, just Houston bred creative visionary. And the way that he talks about how he gleans his inspiration from every aspect of his hometown. If you listen to that conversation and look at his work, you don't have to be um, a Houston resident to understand what true pride looks like. Um, He just really takes a moment to immerse himself in whatever he is deciding to take on in that moment. Um, So hearing him say like, the inspiration's in the dirt, in the walks of life, and the bricks, and you know, that old Astroworld amusement park was just a really endearing thing to listen to and to be a part of. I think we have some of the audio from your interview uh, when you talked about his love of Houston, right? We do. Yeah, let's let's give a listen. The H itself is just like one of the most, it's just like, it's so, it just offers so many different things. Texas in general just, I feel like offers so many just different lifestyles. And, and it's crazy too, because coming from a place like Texas, you know, because it's not like really like the New York, it's not like the billboard, it doesn't have like the, it's not like Vegas where it has like the, you know, it's like lights and, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's more, it's more like it's very down to earth and, you know, it's very, like I love Texas. It is, it's peaceful and it's, it's a lot of land and you get to, you know what I mean, enjoy and you have a lot of my, like a lot of time to just imagine. And, you know, when you, when you imagine, you know, I was so dope about like Astroworld, the theme park there was just kind of like imagination kind of coming to life. And then you just like, you kind of go in your backyard and you're just looking in the backyard, spacing out, and just like, oh, you just start building a treehouse, different things, you know, you just kind of just sit and I just was so, and so in Houston has a lot to offer. It's a lot of just inspiration, just in the dirt, in the soil, in like mm-hmm. the streets, in the, like the walks of life, just like, it's like just the back roads, the country. It just gets so, it's amazing. Now, Toby, uh, we should backtrack for a little bit to talk about uh, Creator Visionary Awards is, is a new addition for Social Media Week and Ad Week this year. And it, it is a much needed addition. I will say that every year we've really struggled to find the right place, the best place to reward this burgeoning creator industry. Uh, and I think you've mentioned some numbers behind that, too, of just what a gigantic industry this has become. So tell us a little bit about, uh, before we go back to Travis, you know, tell us a bit about the origin of Creator Visionary and and specifically how Travis Scott ended up being our first Creator Visionary of the Year. No, absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, this award program is singularly focused on celebrating, recognizing, honoring these extraordinary creators who are really just making such a, a, a fascinating contribution to the world. We, we talk a lot about this sort of idea that we're experiencing a, a renaissance in creativity at this time. And it's, it's a renaissance that I think is being led by the creator movement, but supported by the communities that are coalescing around the creativity. And I think that's what makes this just so so unique. And when you think about this renaissance, this 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 moment we're experiencing, which I think is the greatest like uh, unlock of of creativity and, and and artistic expression that we probably have ever experienced. When you think about Travis, what he represents and his work, and the fact that 
his creativity and, and his contribution transcends almost every single medium. I mean, he's really someone who understands how to work within all forms of media and all types of mediums, right? I mean, he's obviously huge on social, but he's also brought his creativity and artistic expression to the gaming space, to film, to television, obviously to music. Um, his presence and his contribution to kind of social platforms like TikTok is just so fascinating. And I think that not only does he embody what the Creator Visionary Awards represents and, and ultimately celebrates, but I think he's also someone who is just head and shoulders above everybody else. And for that reason, we wanted to give him the platform, the magazine, and, and we wanted to work with him and his team to think about not just giving him an award, but thinking about the ways in which we can um, celebrate his work in, in truly unique and, and, and in truly unique ways, but also in ways that we think are in keeping with the spirit of the creator movement. And uh, it, the I feel like most everyone listening to this podcast probably knows about Travis Scott's kind of more marketing uh, contributions. I will say that I was vaguely aware of him at the beginning of 2020, you know, as a musician, um, as someone who pops up in tabloid headlines occasionally. Um, but but I'll be honest, I, you know, I was not super aware of him. And then I watched his Fortnite concert. Uh, you know, I watched the video of it, uh, not not live, but that thing's fun, uh, just phenomenal. Like it is, I, I was just like, well, I'll watch a few minutes of it. I watched the whole damn thing. And I was mm -hmm. just like, I couldn't stop because it keeps changing, evolving. I thought it was just going to be like one set that, mm -hmm. you know, just the idea to partner with Fortnite, to create custom skins, to do all these things that are just such that modern brands are dying to do, but can't do at the level, nearly at the level uh, that Travis has shown he can. His McDonald's meal, the Travis Scott meal, of course, uh, was was so popular it sold out of hamburgers at McDonald's, which is a a, a new high water mark for just how huge a, a partnership like that can be. But Shannon, one of my favorite anecdotes, and I think it's it's the one you lead with in your story, is the fact that he's always been like this, and and like his first album. It came out in 2015 when your standard format would be put it out on a CD for the folks who were still buying in physical media. He didn't want to do that, right? He was just like, no, I don't want a CD. Yeah, the the first thing he wanted to do was put the music on a, on a USB port and include it as sort of the background of a line of action figures. And at that time, he didn't have the influence and clout to make something like that happen. Now, if he were to do something of that nature, I can't imagine someone saying no to him. But back then, it was, what are you doing? <laughs> Let's, we, you, we can put <laughs> like, no, out. You can't, can't put out a thumb drive. That's your album. No, no, we're absolutely not doing the thumb drive. You can have your toys, but we are going to put out a CD like every respectable artist. But even having just that sort of foresight and understanding that um, CDs are, are kind of going out, that we can do something different if we really apply a little bit of creativity to what we're doing is indicative, I think was indicative of what he's sort of become today, which is this person that doesn't simply, as he says himself, he doesn't stand behind a product. And in his mm -hmm. own words, he's not going to say, Part an adult language here. here. I've got some shit in a can. He's going, if he isn't going to fully stand behind a product, he's just not going to do it. Um, yeah. But if he's really into something, he's like, 
let's take this far beyond this moment, this 30 second spot or this sort of me drinking out of this can. Let's make it an actual fan focused experience. What I love um, is just hearing about artist processes. So I'm curious, it sounds like he has some kind of like artistic um, safe uh, bunker for him for, <laughs> for to, to kind of come up with these um, visions and these ideas. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, what, what's it like to kind of be in his head and, and work with him and um, does, you know, you mentioned the creativity and the inspiration from Texas, uh, but, you know, how does he kind of take all of those ideas? You know, where is he creating from? It can all kind of trace back to Cactus Jack, which is, if you look it up, if you go on Google, it's it's considered a record label. However, when you speak to him and his team, they call it a creative collective because there's a sort of malleability there that takes him out of just creating music. His The focus is creating experiences and creating experiences that he he has a very keen understanding of his fan base and what is going to excite and entice that fan base. So when it comes to getting a partnership, it's more about how can we make sure that this comes, that this is entirely tied to Travis Scott and Cactus Jack. If you look at everything that he's done, there's a design element to each and everything from the sneakers to even the Reese's box. He did a Reese's box where he could have just been in front of the box and that would have sold just fine. But he took it upon himself to design the box and also design a spoon and a bowl to go with that. All of it sold out within seconds. And that's because there's an element there that is exclusive to him and his creative vision. And that is something that is embedded in each thing that he sort of takes on. I think that design element isn't just about making something look cool. It's making sure that it has his creative stamp all throughout. And I think that that's why these things sell out in a minute. Shoes, try getting a Travis Scott shoe. Try it. I, I I've never seen someone successfully do it. Um, it's because it just sells out so quickly because they know that whatever item they are getting, that is a Travis Scott slash Cactus Jack creation, and it's going to be rare. So let, let's talk about Cacti. His his um, what it, It's an agave flavor. Is there like a tequila notes in that thing? Tell us about that product again. It's from Anheuser-Busch, right? Yeah, it's, it's a tequila-based, I believe, made with real agave. And, and they, it's a seltzer. So hard seltzer, it's a hard seltzer, right? Yeah, yes. yeah, obviously. Um, it, it's hard seltzer, obviously a blowing up category, a uh, lot of competitors in this space. But, you know, to your point, he could have just slapped his face on it and called it, you know, Cactus Jack hard seltzer. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, I, I think we've got some uh, audio from your interview here about how he really wanted this to be, He he was very involved in this process, right? extremely involved in literally every aspect of it. (laughs) So let's listen to a little of your interview where he talks about the development of cacti with uh, Anheuser-Busch, which I think just recently made its debut on shelves. Mm -hmm. I started making a tequila and you're drinking a straight uh, spirit or you mix it 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's kind of I'm I'm a whatever I'm I'm, I'm a rager. <laughs> but then it was like it's kind of dope, or like a fact of like you can kind of like having like mix pre-made mix. You know what I'm saying? Instead of just like having to figure out how to mix it, it's just like on go. I can like you know if I want to just have like a daytime mm-hmm. vibe, just something that's not too not too strong. Even if you wanted to, like, you know, have, like, a good night and just pace yourself out and just, like, treat it like it was, like a, you know, like a spirit. You know, you can just keep rocking yourself. So I was like, man, it was like kind of looking at different things and, you know, I kind of was, like, cooking it up and just trying to find, like, you know, the perfect mix and kind of find a perfect mix and then find a perfect partner and, you know, you know, and just getting deeply into it, man. It's, it's been a super fun experience. Like, you know, we worked on it for over about, like, two years a year and a half and oh wow you know, get into that, you know whipping like the, the process of like you know packaging and testing it and going through the oh man it's amazing man actually what just so different about it was just like well for me i don't know if for anyone else but it was just the actual idea of like going through each and every tasting like different tequilas and mm-hmm. you know the perfect like mix and trying to just get it you know not too like just actually starting it from the ground you know what i mean yeah versus like hey man we got this shit in the can like nah it was just like super dope to like start some of the ground and you know cook it up and then go into the spots and just see it in the barrels and just like see it go into the can and just whip the can up and then mm-hmm. just like re- oh redoing the design because i was just in like the way like the side was like it was just like these different things are just so dope <laughs> <laughs> you know well i could talk about this all day i think Travis scott is is just such fascinating figure uh, we haven't even gotten into and maybe this is kind of an interesting note to end on you can tell us a little bit although i want to leave plenty more there's lots more in shannon's story uh cover story on adweek uh but he's a guy who who obviously has mastered branding he's mastered marketing and yet does not like to think in terms of branding or marketing what was his vibe on that in, in terms of how he how he kind of parses the difference between what he does and what he thinks branding and marketing are i think that he takes a stand the standpoint of a fan he really puts himself in the shoes of the average everyday Travis Scott fan, which when they see a Reese's box, um, a Cactus Jack Reese's box, or if they see the something like the astronomical experience, your average fan isn't going to say, what effective marketing? They're going to say, this is cool. And that is all he's concerned with. So something like branding and marketing, it's not that he doesn't like the act of those things. It's that from what I gathered in our conversation, that language kind of creates an unnecessary barrier between the people that are making the product, which is him, and his fans that are that are taking in those products to him it's just about making cool things and sort of creating a vibe when he partners with McDonald's it's not because it's a an effective branding partnership it's i like this burger i want my fans to eat this burger and here have a chicken nugget shaped body pillow which i didn't think i wanted but yeah i kind of want it if it means that like <laughs> That'll be something that like brings more of a connection between me and this person and that he just sort of carries that attitude with every partnership. So to him, 
it's not branding or marketing. It's just another cool thing that you get to do with Travis Scott. Well, Shannon Miller, senior creative, uh, senior editor for creative and representation here at Adweek. So great to have you on board. Really or have you on the podcast. Really encourage everyone to uh, read the article uh, about Travis Scott. It's so much fun. Uh, and uh, we're going to take a break to go redesign some spoons and bowls and release them as Fortnite skins. And pillows. And pillows. <laughs> going to make some food body pillows. And then we will be back to talk more about Creative Visionary Awards and Social Media Week and all the plans coming up for that. Uh, so stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. And we are still with our Chief Innovation Officer, Toby Daniels. Uh, we did have 27 creators that we honored for the Creator Visionary Awards. And uh, we do have Social Media Week this week. So, Toby, what can we expect this week? There are so many names, so many stars. What I love about the rest of the list is really how diverse they are. I follow some of the people on the list, like the Korean Vegan um, and Nick Cho. And uh, it's just it's just a nice time to witness all of the creativity and the community that has formed on social media this year. You know, it has been it's been such a like a true privilege to be involved in the Creator Visionary Awards in large part because you just have this opportunity to sort of dig into just all of this incredible work. Um, I mean, look, we built this list of honorees through partly an editorial process, partly through external submissions, partly through a process of working with our amazing external jury. And I think in combination and sort of collaboratively, we've assembled 27 creators that is truly representative of the movement and of the community and of what's happening in the world today. And as you say, it's a, it's a very diverse list, but like, you know, when we talk about diversity, we need to look at it through so many different lenses. And I think we've done a good job of hitting on diversity in a range of different ways. And, you know, I, I'm just honestly, it, it makes the hair stand up on the back of my head when I look at the list. And I cannot wait to, to share these honorees with the rest of the world this week, because I don't think there's an awards program out there that is anything like what we are putting together here and and i'm just excited to to yeah just to share these creators and their creativity and their work with the rest of the world let's talk about nick cho for a minute because i really do i can't think of this past year of tiktok of uh, clubhouse he's been huge on of like someone who has better represented that kind of warm light that that like glow in the darkness of this past year you know what i mean because we've had so much darkness <laughs> and then finding nick like your korean dad for those who, who have seen him uh and if not you should uh because he's just so just such a bright spot uh co tell me about like do you remember kind of first discovering him and, and what what it's been like following him over this past year yeah i i noticed um you know he was just kind of uh, this is going to sound really negative, but it's just like a, a plain face that was relatable, inviting, and he was just coming through the screen as, um, you know, like, hey, come do this with me um, for anyone who felt alone, which a lot of us did at times in this past year. So I believe he came up on my For You page and I was really pleasantly surprised by how many non-Korean people 
were following him and looking up to him as a father figure or a friend. Um, you know, I know a lot of people lost people over um, the pandemic or they, they did over um, their lifetimes. And Nick just kind of showed up as a voice um, to be there for you. Um, and so uh, what I think has been great is that uh, he's been able to take us to the 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 nice Taco Bell in California, um, you know, share Korean meals with you, um, but also just be kind of very universal and, and relatable in that way. Well, it's like we, you hear every once in a while content creators say, including podcasters, and, and I don't know if I'm good about doing this, that you should never say, hey, everyone, like, hey, all of you, like you're talking to one person, right? When someone listens to a podcast, it's a one-on-one -on -one experience or it's someone, you know, they don't think of themselves as part of a, of a, of an audience of a crowd. And same with when you're watching a TikTok, when you're watching an Instagram, uh, you know, real that to you, it's, it's personal. Right. And, and I think a lot of creators, it's become a joke, right? This idea of, Hey everyone, Hey guys, I just thought I'd update you on my morning routine. And <laughs> And to me, that's as soon as I see that vibe, I kind of get turned off because I'm just like, you're just here for the numbers, right? And with with Nick, it's the how he starts everything is like, hey, I'm your Korean dad, you know, and it's it's this very personal. And for me, I'm I'm probably honestly, I'm probably older than Nick, <laughs> but like I, I really he resonated with me so much just because he's playing a role. I mean, that sounds maybe dismissive, but he's he's filling this role that's very difficult right now. And it's something we parents have to do every day, right? Like times are very hard and you have to explain that to your children and explain that to younger people in your life. But at the same time, give them some sense of hope that it'll get better and that there's still love and support in the world. And so for me, I really, I really just resonated with his his tone. And then, of course, when violence against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders really ramped up, to see how he balanced that, which was exceptional. You know, you can be a Mister Rogers in good times. It's very difficult to play that role in difficult times. And I thought he just balanced it so well. So not to turn this into a whole Nick Cho uh, stand podcast. Nick Cho, we love you. <laughs> <laughs> And just seeing on podcast on uh, Clubhouse too, the way he has really been a role model in the TikTok creator uh, rooms on there, and just uh, you know, a lot of people, part of me wishes weren't role models these days or every day. And you know, you look at some people who have a ton of influence, and you think, uh, is this really who I want talking to? People coming up, Nick is the extreme opposite. Just such a yeah. such a wonderful role model. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, any uh, let's let's we could spend uh, honestly like seven hours on these. I will just say I'm I'm also proud that Lubalin made the uh, made the the final cut because the a jury selected these winners as uh, Toby mentioned. So I I was just very hopeful going into the process, even though I was not on the jury. That Lubalin, who those of you may know from turning internet drama into songs on TikTok, and it's just one of the most universally beloved creators I've seen. He has the fifteen thousand pound <laughs> horse song, which is made I. I don't know if I've laughed that hard at anything in, in years. Uh, so very. Can we play a little bit of that? Uh, let's get our producer, Nick, to maybe bring a little bit of that in. Yeah, let's get some heavy horse. Ha, 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 my horse broke my toes. Oh, dang. She weighs over 15,000 pounds. 1,500. Nope, got another zero. There's no way she can be that much She got papers on her telling us her way The 
Looking for a way, it is 3,336 in England. Okay, well, this, this horse isn't from here, Abby. Um, Toby, anything else you noticed, uh, kind of going back through the, the honorees, um, or, or honestly, are there any folks in there that you would point people to who maybe aren't as much on the, the front end in front of the camera so much as kind of behind the scenes? Cause we have quite a few of those honorees as well. Yeah, I mean, it's worth noting that the Creative Visionary Awards are not just honoring the creators themselves, but also the the marketers and the practitioners and the brands and the agencies that um, that provide just so much necessary support to the creator space and to the creators themselves. So, yes, you know, we are very excited to, um, you know, honor the Travis Scotts of this world and, and, a, and a, an incredible roster of other creators who have built huge audiences and are putting just extraordinary work out into the world. But we also, you know, we're also honoring, you know, folks like Stephen Bartlett, who, you know, is the former CEO of Social Chain, um, you know, started this agency when he was 21 years old, built it to a 400 person agency, recently kind of went public on the German stock exchange. Um, he's since left and, and has moved on to kind of the next chapter of his career. He's like 27 years old at this point. He's just authored a book, Happy Sexy Millionaire. He's host of, of, um, of the Diary of a CEO podcast, which is one of the most popular podcasts in the UK. And he's also a creator. He's an influencer in his own right. He has millions of followers on, on Instagram. And, you know, through that particular medium, you know, he's putting really inspirational content out into the world to help young up and coming entrepreneurs think about how they can also make a mark on the world so really excited to honor Stephen. um we are also very excited to uh, honor our breakthrough creator of the year who is um dion warwick you may have heard of her dion has uh, made a really sensational splash in the world of twitter over the course of the last like six to 12 months um dion who is uh, 80 years old and obviously an absolute living legend um just really I think comes to her community and her fan base with just such a unique voice uh, and unique approach to how she engages her fans. Um, and I just love seeing the fact that she's just having so much fun with it. And I think Dion and some of these other creators speak to something that's really, really important that we want to do a good job at ad week of, of recognizing. And that is that really the creator space is um, very much fueled by positivity and joy, right? It, that's really what so many of these creators bring to the world, inspiration, creativity, joy, positivity, all these things, as you say, Griner, have been so important for us over the course of the last year. And I'm glad that we can shine a spotlight on their work, but also emphasize just how important their work is to the world, particularly when you think back over the course of the last decade or so, and Grani and you and I and Cohen, you know, we've been in this sort of space and been immersed in social media for such a long time. And I think, you know, it's important to recognize where we are today and, and, and acknowledge both the good and the bad aspects of social media. But through these awards, it's just all about focusing on the good and focusing on the positive. 
Yeah, if, if you're tired of, I won't name names because it'll take me to a different headspace, but if you're tired of certain influential content creators who do not use their platforms uh, constructively or for the greater good, uh, but instead sow a lot of, uh, I would say, hatred and dissension and many other uh, negative things, uh, check out the Creator Visionary Awards because it it's a palate cleanser. It is just a nice reminder that there are so many good folks, that there are people really creating the kind of content there are, the uh, Dolly Parton's not on there, but she was on our Creative 100 last year, and I think she's another just fantastic example. These, these, you know, find the light and share it, and and you know, sometimes you just gotta turn off the the many other negative voices that are out there. And speaking of positive voices and and influential folks, let's talk about Social Media Week. Uh, who, not to put you on the spot, Toby, but. Um, who are you? Who are some of the folks that you're most excited about hearing from, and uh, our audience getting to to see at the event? Well, um, this is the 13th year of hosting Social Media Week New York. Um, sadly, you know we're we're not hosting in person. It's this is going to be a virtual event, but an event that will bring together you know four or five thousand marketers, kind of in the social media space, um, as part of a, an event that truly I am so incredibly proud of. I mean, look, I've been producing this event since I founded Social Media Week back in 2009. And, um, you know, we obviously were acquired by Adweek towards the end of last year. So this is the first time that we're hosting Social Media Week under Adweek's ownership. And, you know, I can honestly say this is the best program that we've put together. Again, speaks to diversity, both, you know, in terms of um, striking a necessary balance uh, across the board, um, but also just a diversity in terms of kind of, you know, a cognitive, um, you know, range of different intellects and, and different thought leadership that we're, I think, bringing to the audience over the course of, of the week. I'm particularly excited about you know, a handful of sort of folks I'll, I'll speak to. Sinan Aral, um, uh, is going to be uh, one of our sort of headline speakers. Sanan is um, an author, entrepreneur. Um, he is with the MIT Initiative on the Digital Economy. Um, he's written numerous books, but his most recent book, I think, really speaks to, to, to the kind of the moment that we're in right now. So we're excited to, to have Sanan speak. Um, uh, we also have Naja Ballon-White, who's the um, Chief Marketing Officer at Vice Media. Really excited to have her perspective. Um, we have multiple people from TikTok um, speaking. TikTok is one of our, our global partners. TikTok's also sponsoring Social Media Week Worldwide, which we can kind of come to talk about in a little bit. Um, but Blake Chandley, who is the president of um, TikTok's global business, um, is going to be one of our headline speakers. Um, and in I addition really to him... Excited, Toby, for you know, speaking of TikTok um, mm. and TikTok success, um, the CEO of Ocean Spray, right? To kind of go back to to all of all of that and um, seeing how that brand kind of jumped onto an older brand, jumped onto the platform. Um, okay. So I'm totally, totally excited for that. You know, it, it's so Tom, Tom Hayes, who's the president and CEO of Ocean Spray, is just a really fascinating character. I mean, he's a veteran of the sort of the food industry. Um, you know, he's worked for like Tyson Foods and numerous other brands. He's currently obviously the CEO of um, of Ocean Spray. But of course, the key thing about him and his story, and when you look back on the last year, is 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 it really sort of it speaks to how brands 
can play in the uh, creator social media sandbox in such a way so that they can make an important and necessary contribution so that they actually can insert themselves into culture, into the zeitgeist, into the moment um, whereby something is starting to kind of become viral. And obviously, um, you know, they did that with the dreams ocean spray meme that kind of blew up on TikTok and, um, not only did they make a great contribution um, to that moment, but but also the impact and ultimate benefit to their business was just extraordinary. So I think there's a, there's a great lesson there. So yeah, no, I agree. Tom Tom's going to be a good one for sure. Yeah, yeah and to... that same day, um, David. Sorry, go ahead. No. Yeah. Well, that same day on May 6th, David, you're going to be talking to um, the head of Cameo, and I was wondering maybe for your birthday or for Christmas, if you wanted a cameo from your Korean dad. <laughs> yes. He can just be my, my Korean brother since I, I, again, I'm probably, although I'll let him be my dad. Nick Cho can totally be my dad. You know, it's like, I, I was trying to remember if I've, I don't, I have sent several cameos. I don't think I've received any, just putting it out there. If anybody just wants to grace me uh, with, uh, I, I love the business model of cameo. I think it's a fascinating one. I think it was such smart play. I've talked to several creators who use it and who just talk about, there's also a new, I'm forgetting the name, but there's a new kind of semi-related um, service that uh, that you celebrities can use to to do autographs. So basically, like it it it's custom autographed material, and you order it as if you're ordering a cameo, and then it shows up. I just love seeing these new ways of of uh you know influencer influencers and celebrities getting involved in in their fans and getting more direct with them uh because it's it's just so it's got to be so nice for them to be able to make this money a lot of the the cameo stars as i'm sure people have seen are like voice actors which i'm obsessed with voice actors it's such a fascinating industry i've written multiple articles outside of ad week in my other in my you know other journalism days about like what it is to be a a a career voice actor and it's, it's a hard road man that is a tough job and they kind of live in the for for decades lived in the shadows of of you know of those industries and just now honestly thanks to cameo and other stuff it's like hey i was the voice you know there's several who are like i was the voice of your childhood <laughs> <laughs> you can book it. Um, I, I would also give a quick plug. Uh, Orchid Bertelson, a friend of mine, who's at uh, at Nestle, she is going to be speaking as well. Orchid is one of the smartest and most interesting people I know, uh, so I was very excited to see her uh, on the yep. list. Honestly, I was just scrolling back through the speaker tab. It goes on forever. I could literally scroll this thing for like seven. It, hours. it, it really, it really does, and and it's interesting because I'm sort of doing the same, and and. You know, that's why I was saying I really do feel very confident this is the strongest kind of program that we've put together and, and in many ways supported by the fact that so many of these speakers are distributed literally all over the world and on like three or four different continents. And that's just a, a great advantage and benefit for, for, you know, for, for us you know, do producing the event in the way that we are. I also want to mention that Alia Komet, um, who's um, the, the VP of Creative and Digital Marketing at McCormick, um, is also going to be speaking. In fact, she's going to be our opening fireside interview to kick off day one of social media week and alia is also the recipient of the brand leader of the year as part of the creative visionary awards and we're really excited to have her speak because she has been a creative powerhouse um in the creator space um in terms of working and collaborating with creators on a range of different incredible campaigns um that they've worked on over the course of this last year so excited to have her speak as well 
Well, um, before we run out of time, I did want to see, since we've got you, Toby, um, can you go, like thinking back to Social Media Week when you started it and to where it's come now, I mean, did you have any idea it would grow to the size it would? What was your kind of vision for it and, and how has that, how has it evolved over the years? All right, I'm going to give you the I'm going to give you the, the the rapid fire response to that question, but it's kind of a fun story. So I was working for a social networking startup, 2006 to 2008, helped to kind of launch and run their North American operation for a couple of years, and so I was deep into the kind of weeds of social media at the time. And as I stepped down and was looking for kind of the next opportunity, the, the, my one motivation was that I just wanted to bring smart people together to talk about what was happening in social, but informed by a couple of things. One by my experience of going to Burning Man in September of 2008. Mm. Um, and it, it's it's an important kind of reference point because actually Burning Man is kind of really interesting in terms of how 50,000 people come together to self-organize around the creation of an experience. And I was fascinated by co-creation, collaboration, and what we can achieve if we kind of come together and sort of move away from that sort of top-down approach to how we program and, and, and how we organize, right? So that was one piece. And then soon after that, Barack Obama was elected, right? Social media played a really important role in terms of providing people with the tools to be able to self-organize around the election of a president. Um, and so I was like, okay, there's something special. There's something really interesting happening in, in, in social. And, you know, there's a sort of a, a certain amount of, op even though we're, like, we're at the beginning of like the global like recession, there was actually a real sense of optimism around kind of the role and the possibilities of like what social media could bring to the world, right? So this is 2008, 2009. So I started Social Media Week and I thought, okay, let's bring a bunch of people together. Let's decentralize the organization process. Let's invite other people to kind of host events. Let's distribute it all over the city and let's just like have a really grassroots community kind of created event um, that brings smart people together to talk about social across the board, right? So let's look at the business and marketing implications of what's happening, but let's also look at the societal and cultural kind of possibilities of, of what social media represents. So second year, we were like, okay, let's do it again, but let's do it different. So when we launched in six cities simultaneously, so we had social media week in literally San Francisco, New York, Sao Paulo, Berlin, Toronto, et cetera, all in, and New York, all happening in the, in at the, the same second time. year. In the second year. So that was like <laughs> my my opportunity to say, okay, let's let's think about a conference that's already distributed over an entire city, but let's think about then doing that simultaneously in multiple cities. So we went from like one to six to eleven to twenty-two cities in the space of two years. And the biggest event I think we had was like 12 cities simultaneously, almost 100,000 attendees attending over the course of the week. And it was bananas, but it was also, it spoke to the media, spoke to the moment, right? We were just literally thinking about how can we leverage social and the tools and technologies that enable collaboration to also then be the underpinning way of how we organize the event. And we were doing live streaming in 2009, 2010. We were a hybrid conference from day one. And that's what enabled us to grow and build what eventually became, you know, a very large global event taking place on six different continents in 18 countries, 28 plus, you know, cities. And, and so um, it was a fun ride. But of course, that ride, that journey, which, which you know, um, was over a decade long before, you know, we eventually um, joined the Adweek family, was also a journey that was punctuated by these like moments where social media was constantly being brought into question in regards to whether it's good for society, whether it's helping to make a positive contribution, whether it's actually causing like addiction and harm. And 
while also at the same time um, punctuated by major global events that were impacted by social media, whether it's like response to natural disasters or whether it's political uprising in the Middle East. And so we were just there throughout and along that journey to document, to observe, to bring people together, to talk about what was happening and to think about the future and think about the ways in which we can create a pathway to to a future that is positive and where social media can actually play a really important and 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 positive contribution in our lives and we are still very much on that journey Uh, that's amazing well we are so glad to have you uh as part of the adwick family that was very exciting when i heard um that uh, we were going to be joining up. I've obviously been following Social Media Week. I was a social media strategist before my time at at Adweek, and I was our first social editor. So it is deeply woven in my DNA, and, and I'm just nerdily excited that we're all one family now. Uh, so thanks so much, uh, Toby, for making time for us. A pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Toby, my social dad. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and co always a pleasure. So great. I was, I was out for a few weeks, uh, and I missed, I missed being on the show and, but it was great to get to catch up every time a new episode came out. I got tremendous, uh, warm feedback from the last episode about mental health and creative process. Uh, thank you so much for that. I don't think I've heard so much response, uh, to an episode in, in quite a while. So if you missed that one, uh, go back and check it out because it was wonderful. And, uh, so thank you so much, co. Of course. And I am your Korean sister. So there you go. I'm building such a family today. (laughs) All right. Uh, Our theme music is by Home. This week's episode was produced by Nick Gardner and edited by Lane McGivney. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. You can reach us anytime at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we will be back next week.